Namotasa Bhagavato Arahato Sama Sambutasa Namotasa Bhagavato Arahato Sama Sambutasa Namotasa Bhagavato Arahato Sama Sambutasa Bhutang Dhammang Sankang Namasami So today is the, the new moon of May and uh, the new moon and the full moon are, are special days for us as monastics as they we, um, we look at how we're using our life as nuns and as renunciants and we look at our training rules and we see whether we've gone off track and if we have we share, we, we kind of let another nun know that and and we sort of help each other to stay on track by by being uh, open with each other. And today we had a special special uh, moon day because there are four bikunis, very rare that there are four of us. And when there are four, that's known as a sangha of bikunis. When there's three, it's like just like a little group. And then there's four, <laughs> it's a proper sangha. So thanks to Ayachanda being here. And thanks to each of us actually being here. We have uh, we had a sangha of bikunis today, and we were able to chant the whole of the Patimoka, the, um, the the training rules, and uh, and then have time to discuss it afterwards, which is, was really nice, just free form. And, uh, and then uh, later some of the nuns were, together with some nuns in, in uh, uh, Mountain View, we had a little Vinaya discussion, discussion about the, the life and how, how we use our, uh, the form that we have. So it's been quite special in that way. And then, and also it's very special to have so many people here. This is quite unusual. <laughs> and it feels wonderful. Uh, so I, I felt like, just actually as we were sitting down and chanting the Dhamma Chakra Sutta, I felt like, oh, today, tonight is a night that there should be some Dhamma shared. So, so I haven't prepared any more than just, you know, while I was sitting there. <laughs> but uh, the theme that came up for me very strongly today is, is joy. Um, it's been uh, it's just like uh, it's been fun, you know, doing this, about looking around and working out what we're going to do, escaping around the the monastery, and and that it's like the the the, the continued process of turning uh, a house, you know, what was a family suburban house into a monastery and a place of practice, and so it's been it's been lovely to have both like skill of a of a landscape architect and also the knowledge of, of a practitioner who knows the monastic sangha and like how those have gone together to create uh, or to, to evolve an idea which we can share with people tomorrow and get more input and so anyway I was reflecting on joy you know how important joy is in the in the practice and and I think like Theravada sometimes gets a bit of a bad name with it being all about suffering and you know very strict and rather dry and serious and intellectual. You get all of these things, hear all of these things about the Theravada form. And yet, uh, you know, there's, there's a lot of opportunity for joy in the practice. And, and when I think about some of the, um, you know, more uh, maybe realised monastics that I've met over the years, one of the characteristics that really stands out is, is a sense of playfulness and joyfulness. 
And so, um, so it's and it's easy to forget that and sort of get rather serious and try really hard. And, and I was just reflecting on when I was uh, a laywoman, like in 1992, when I was living in the monastery with a kind of stepping towards very close to shaving my head and becoming a novice, an anagarika. Um, there was a monk staying at the monastery at the time who was quite extraordinary and he was very, he didn't fit into any, any boxes very well. Um, he, was, he was made the work monk because he was rather kind of free and playful so the, the, the monks decided, okay, let's make him the work monk, give him some responsibility. And the first day he was the work monk he said, everyone gathered and, and then he said, you know, it's a, such a beautiful day. Everybody take the day off. <laughs> and then the next day, you know, it's another beautiful day. Let's just take the day off. And then the third day he got the sack. <laughs> and he was a really beautiful spirit, this monk. And he had an extraordinary quality. <clears throat> he had some sort of connection with butterflies. He loved butterflies. And I still remember very clearly one, one day we lived uh, in Amravati, there are lots of buildings, and, and he was coming around the side of this building, I was standing in the courtyard, he was coming around the side of this building, and there was a flock of butterflies following him of all kinds, all different kinds, and it was just, he was just kind of extraordinary. And I remember him saying to me, we were in the scullery together having a chat, and, and, he's, and I was sort of like maybe a few days before I was going to shave my head and become an anagarica, and he said, don't turn into a dried up old stick. <laughs> <laughs> it really stayed with me. It was like, that was really important. <laughs> don't turn into a dried up old stick. <laughs> because it can happen, you know, it can happen in a monastic life. You know, you're renunciant, and then there's all these rules. And as bikinis, we have loads of rules, <laughs> like lots. And um, it, it's easy, it would be easy to pick it up in the wrong way and, and to become too serious and, and too concerned and too weighed down and, you know, and then also because there aren't so many bikunis or, or even Western monastics, you kind of, you know, you're quite in the spotlight and, and you, you can get into this idea you've got to look a certain way and be a certain way and, and so it could easily happen that you kind of dry up and, and just end up holding a form which doesn't have the, the the love and wisdom flowing through it. And and I was reflecting on that during the meditation, it's like, yes, there have been times when I have turned into a dried up old stick on this path, you know, and then it's and then it's some um, juices come again, thankfully. Mm-hmm. And then it can happen. You know, even over, even in the course of a week it can happen, you know, one day feeling kind of very sort of tight and maybe rigid and a bit cross and and then a bit later on feeling more fluid and relaxed and so just watching that that flow and, and I'm just often grateful for his words they haven't left me after all these like 24 years don't turn into a dried up old stick <laughs> and, um, and just reflecting on the many ways that, that joy can arise through the practice so there's the joy of, of being together and so this is one thing I was just experiencing as I was sitting here you know, the joy that we've had today and in, in exploring different possibilities, you coming all the way up, you know, all those miles, like three hours drive to come and be part of it, and, and uh, there's a, there's a joy in sharing our intention and looking to do something together and sharing skills, knowledge, and there's like there's the joy of generosity, 
<coughs> giving, which which happens like, you know, in a monastery is is so amazing because the whole thing is 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 the fact that it is here is because people have given. It's through generosity, and there are people that we we've never met, you know, who who've generously given to support this monastery to happen. It's kind of amazing, and uh, and it's ongoing. It's ongoing, you know the. The mortgage is getting paid. The bills are getting paid. The um, the food is coming in, and it's like it's it's happening through people's generosity. Work is being done through people's generosity, and uh, it's kind of a miracle in a way that 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 can happen. That something like this can happen, and and this is one of you know several little places that are that are existing through the the power of people's generosity. In a capitalist country, it's kind of radical. So that's a, there's a great joy. There's a great joy in giving, as I'm sure everybody knows, because you're all very generous. And then there's also a great joy in receiving what is given. It's it's, it's, it's very much both ways. And uh, I just I hope you don't mind. So, but Robert brought lots of veggies and things today as he came, and um, I was watching you actually putting some of them away and like kale and. And holding these, these vegetables, it was like they were like bouquets of flowers <laughs> in your arms. It's like there's so much love in them, you know. It's like the love of thinking about what would be good for the nuns and then getting them and bringing them here. And it's so full of life. And so, you know, it's like layers of, and there's like so much, even in a, in a simple act of giving, there's so much, so juice, so much juice, you know, so much joy and so much love in giving. And then there's the also the joy of um, renunciation, which is not such an obvious joy, because often renunciation would be related to you know hardship or having to go without. And I was also as I was sitting reflecting on the, this, uh, it's also for some reason it came up about the you know, my beginning, the beginnings of my monastic life, and just that incredible joy I felt in being able to just shave my head, put on those white robes and live as a renunciant. It was just brought me so much joy. And uh, I remember one of the Anagarikas, the male novices at the time, saying, oh, be careful, you know, because I was very high. I'm like, yay. He was like, well, be careful, you know, you're probably gonna, you know, what goes up must come down kind of thing. And and yet that joy stayed with me for a really long time. And, and it, when it went down, it just went down to like normal, not boom. Because it's, there's, a, there's an incredible um, freedom and blessing somehow in being able to live as a renunciant. It's not a, it's not a you know, it's not, a, a, it's not the sort of thing, you know, when you're at school, you don't, you don't look at your career options and say, I want to be a renunciant, you know. <laughs> It's not an obvious choice, but there's something so joyful in, in being able to to give up having control, you know, and, and uh, trying to make it all work the way we want, and having the you know the food I want, the clothes I want, the the time that I want to spend doing whatever. Of course, there was there was some joy in in following what I wanted, but it it was never really. It never really lasted very long. It wasn't very satisfying, and I, I really, you know, did my best <laughs> to find that satisfaction. And it's like mm, it just doesn't quite stay with me. And then, 
So that joy of renunciation, and it, you know, there's, there's the renunciation in terms of like living as a monastic, but there's also many little renunciations that, that um, I think also at this time, you know, when there's it's much more awareness. So it's like this culture is at a time when, you know, we we've we live we can li- we can live very comfortably in this culture, and what is is very comfortable because has become kind of normal. And uh, and then now, more and more, we we get to see what you know what are the consequences of that. So, like one person living in luxury is there'll be other people who are struggling to to make that possible. And normally we don't know about it, you know, we don't see it, but it's there behind the scenes. So at this time, you know, just to to know to look at like well, what are the what. Are the consequences of my actions? What's what's behind this thing I want to purchase or eat or whatever? And 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 then if there's, for example, which there is behind many things, if there's slavery behind it, then give it up. You know, if there's um, sweatshops behind it, you know, think about it seriously before before taking part in that and. So that's that's you know you might see something you really like and then and then you see what's behind it and then it's like mm, it's really no just let it go. So uh, there's a lot you know, there's the there's the, like the freedom and the joy of renunciation, and then there's the joy, which is an even sometimes even more inaccessible joy, but it's a beautiful joy of. Um, of just the joy of, of knowing the truth of the way things are. So there's a, a chant that we often, there are like a, the five subjects for frequent recollection. Uh, this is not an obvious route to joy, but I'm of the nature to age. I have not gone beyond ageing. I'm of the nature to sicken. I'm not exempt from sickness. From sickness, I'm of the nature to die. I'm not exempt from dying. All that is mine that gives me that is beloved gives me joy will be separated from me with people or things and um and I'm the owner of my karma. This maybe is a little bit more obscure but that's like accepting like what comes to me, whether it's with the good and the bad of it, turning towards it and accepting it. And this is another thing. It's like when I, you know you can you can hear that and feel like oh, that's a bit of a downer. You know, everything that I love and is mine gives me joy. I'm going to be separated from. I don't want to hear that. But when you're really aligned with that truth, there's an incredible joy to knowing the truth of that. There's a freedom in that. I also remember just that, because that's a chant we would do very very often in our monasteries in England. And one day just just chanting that with and just feeling the most the utmost joy just to know that truth you know I don't have to try and make it all work try and be somebody that's going to continue you know way off in the future because it's you know that it's inevitably all going to fall apart it cannot help but fall apart this body is going to fall apart this mind has already started falling apart (laughs) (laughs) you know and uh, the things I love the people the things they 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 have to go back to where they came from. They, the elements go back to the elements. Earth element returns to earth element, air to air, water to water, fire to fire. And that's that's 
the way it is. That's the truth of it. That's the nature. And so the you know the wish for that to be otherwise is is the is the, is the source of suffering, source of stress, and and uh, dukkha. So the joy of just knowing the truth of the way things are is like a relief. There's such a relief in knowing like, don't know. Don't know if there's going to be a next breath. Don't know if we're going to wake up tomorrow. Don't know if the plans that we that we have we're making with a lot of joy are going to happen or not. You know, and it's like it's not that you have to give up planning, give up uh, you know having a sense of what I want to do in my life, but you're doing you're, you're planning and and having those visions and and intentions, and holding them lightly with that sense of not sure, who knows. So that when so-called catastrophe strikes, it's like it's not it's not devastating. So we were, as we were walking around and looking at things around the grounds, uh, it came up about because uh, we've got two people from the Bay Area and then other people from the foothills, and then it came up about earthquakes. You know, it's like well, earthquakes aren't really an issue here. Like, really, earthquakes aren't an issue. It's like no forest fires are an issue. You know, forest fires are a big issue here. So, you know, if you live in the Bay Area, an earthquake could be hugely devastating. And, you know, it's gonna, they're going to happen. They, they are happening all the time, little ones. And probably at some point there'll be a bigger one, you know, as there has been in the past. And, you know, up here, we've, since we've lived here, there have been three forest fires you know, that we've had the smoke from and been close enough to feel the, the edge of, let's say, the edginess of. And maybe one day a fire will come through here, we don't know. So, you know, if we were if we were trying to fix something, then we'd probably might say, oh, well, let's not start a monastery here because there might be a forest fire, or well, let's not develop anything because, you know, there might be a fire, and let's not bother planting the trees that we planted last week. But it's like, no, life goes on, you know, we do what we do. Life goes on and maybe there will be a forest fire, and maybe some trees will survive, maybe the house will be good because we've planned well who knows if we if we get it all together and you know it's the same with our lives it's like if we if we live uh if we if we live assuming we're going to live forever and that things are always going to go well and our loved ones will always be with us we're going to suffer a lot because it isn't like that and if we live thinking well i'm going to you know who knows how much time i've got i'm going to die anyway so i won't bother trying to do anything that's not it either, and it's that middle way, where we're we're living, we're visioning, we're stepping into the present, and we have um, possibilities for the future, and we and we connect with each other, and and we let go, we let go, we let go in that in that process, and that's where the freedom is. And that's where the relief is and the joy is. So there's also a a little saying, I think it's a sign actually, a little, little sign at um, Ajahn Buddha Dasa's um, place, uh, Watsun Mok in Thailand, that says something like, Oh joy at last, or, or boundless joy, I'm not quite sure. Oh, oh boundless joy to know there is no happiness in this world. When I heard that, it just gave me so much joy. <laughs> because it's, it's not saying everything's miserable, we're all going to be miserable forever. It's saying 
the world isn't going to do it for you. It's not in the world. You're not going to find your happiness in the world because the world's changing all the time. The happiness is here in the heart. It's in the. It's in letting go. It's in. It's in. It's in dropping back, resting back into this. That's happening now, and we think, you know, this is how the whole advertising. Uh, industry works. It's like the joys in the world. Here, you know, get my get my nice thing. You know, buy this, have that. Look like this, you know, and then you'll have joy. And it's like, well, the joy isn't in the dress. It isn't in the new phone. You know, it is for maybe a really short time, and then it's like, then it's old already. Then it's not working the way you want. Because not the joy isn't in the thing. The joy is in the heart. So the things are just like little, little triggers. And like, oh, yeah, that's nice. I want that. And, and then you have it, and it's for like a very short time. It's great, and then it's not anymore. Just like when we were children, you know, it's the same old pattern. What you want for your birthday? I want that. I want that. And then you get it, and then you open it, and it's all exciting. And then you want to play with something else. You know? It's the same when you grow up. So the joy is in the heart, and then finding the way to really um, nurture that joy in wholesome ways and uh, <laughs> come in, come in it's very timely oh hi, I'm going to see just talking about, um, talking about joy oh Sitting in this space seat. Oh, so nice to see you. Lost my thread. I'm just sitting in the joy for a moment. So the joy being in the heart rather than in the, the, the things that trigger the joy. And, um, you know, the, 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 the factors of awakening, so the, the, you know, the Buddha points to the, the places where we get stuck or pulled off track. And then he also points to the way that we can get back on track. And so with the, the factors of awakening, the first one being mindfulness, sati, which is so accessible, we just have to remember, and there it is already. And, uh, and then, you know, so even if we're caught in, a, in, a, in a, a lot of turmoil, or we're in doubt, or we're kind of uh, feeling like restless, frustrated, whatever, and then, then we bring mindfulness to that, Already there's the path that's opening up, mindfulness. It's the first factor of enlightenment. And then bringing an interest to what's going on. Oh, look, there's restless, like, I'm really agitated, restless, unsettled. That's oh, restlessness, that's the hindrance of restlessness. That's one of the hindrances, okay. And then there's, so that's 
mindfulness and investigation there's already two steps on the path to awakening and then you stay with it like, so where, what's, where's that come from? Where is, what's that restlessness about? where's that come from? maybe, that, maybe to trying to find out what it's about is doesn't help so okay well what can I do? maybe I can just take a breath take a deep breath and let go Oh, it feels a little bit better already. Okay, and then we take another one. So then there's there's putting putting energy into the what's happening here and now. So it might be the energy of just to sustain the interest, or it might be like changing things a little bit, putting energy into letting go a little bit more, so the restlessness comes down. So there's already th- three first three out of seven factors of enlightenment being used very simply they happen without us even noticing often we're doing it and we haven't even noticed we're doing it and so there's the path and then as we stay with that um, and some of you may have you know, experienced that we can be in we can be still with the restlessness and then there's the there's the turning towards it there's the interest there's the understanding and then joy arises I've had it also with with um, and like with with Sadness, you know, feeling really sad, or even actually I've had it with depression, which is kind of a bit of a strange combo. But, you know, yeah, feeling depressed, and then and then understanding. Okay, this is depression. Oh yeah, I know depression. I know that really well. Uh huh. It comes. It's there. It feels totally real and forever, and then it goes away again. Uh huh. So this is depression. It's like this, and there's an interest and a turning towards it, and even with that, without it going away, a joy arises because of the knowing. Because you're not just lost, you're not completely. It hasn't got you. It's just a. It's just a cloud passing through the mind, and the, and the, and just like the weather affects us, that cloud affects how I am, and yet the sky knows it's just a cloud passing. So the the sun is still shining, and the the joy is there along with you know whatever's whatever hindrance is present, and so that joy that's like. That's the, that's um, kind of right in the centre there of the of the factors of enlightenment, and it's uh, so it's very important. You know, it's, it's one of the awakening factors to experience joy and to open to that joy, and then you know we don't need to just stay there. So if we want to be joyful all the time, that's also one of the kind of crazy making aspects of this culture you're supposed to be like happy all the time <laughs> happy young beautiful successful you know all the time and so that's that's not the dharma <laughs> it's not nature so if we if we just stay with joy and feel like I should be joyful you know if I don't feel if I'm not feeling joy I'm not practicing right then that's not it either or we're feeling joy and you just want more and more of it kind of getting off on it that's you can do that it's it's good to do that a little bit, actually. It's good to really enjoy the joy. But then, you know, you can sort of start to kind of soften it out or open it out, broaden broaden the space within which you're experiencing the joy. Maybe sh- maybe sharing it, you know, maybe offering it out to others or just making more space in, in oneself so that things can just settle, so it becomes more subtle, more embodied, more integrated. And then a peace arises through that. And then if you're if you're really kind of just staying with it, because at any point our mind can kind of go off and get distracted, but just staying with that, 
and there's a collectedness of mind collecting around and there's been enough there's been enough attention interest energy holding steadying and then there's a, like a collectedness of mind and seeing you know the the changing nature of mind then like opaque or equipoise arises so I want to say equanimity because that's what sounds like we want to flatten it out and it's not about flattening it out but it's about finding a place of balance in a natural way with with all of these these changing conditions so those that that those steps or those folds or whatever you want to call them, that that path to enlightenment to awakening unfolds and it's not like a path working I'm here and I'm stepping along a path to get over there it's unfolding right here in our in our hearts in the moment and then you know very easily another hindrance comes in and we've forgotten again you know? and then if we're not mindful then we go oh there I go again and we create a self out of that who's not who's failing or who's should know better by now or who really can't do it, it's not good enough, all of that stuff that we can do. And that's creating a self out of a mind state. And then we might remember again, ah, okay, oh, there's selfing happening. We talked, we were reading, reading this morning about selfing. There's selfing happening. So what's going on? You know, and then there's mindfulness again, there's interest again, then we're back on the path again. So every time, any time that we remember to be mindful is... It's, it's a beautiful moment. It's a moment to, to, of joy. It's a moment of celebration, because we're stepping back on the path. And it's so easy to to miss the that turn of the mind from being lost to being mindful. It's so easy to mistake that and and just look at what we're being mindful of. And maybe we're being mindful of quite often we're being mindful of one of the hindrances or several sometimes of the hindrances and then we identify with that instead of seeing mindfulness awesome you know mindfulness awakening factor mm. and it doesn't matter so much what we're mindful of it doesn't matter what the object is that much it changes anyway don't worry about it too much but it's like ah that's mindfulness interest you know so just to training the mind to, to, to do that again and again and again and again and seeing how again and again we, we create a self that's great that then collapses or, or that's like really not good enough or you know or that in the future is going to be something you know we, and it's, it's always stressful the self the selfing and it's in the in the freedom in the in the spontaneity in the in the responsiveness. Um, when we're when we're attuned, not just kind of you know with heed, heedfulness, you know, with mindfulness. That's that's like as a source of joy. Being somebody is a source of dukkha. So we don't have to annihilate ourselves because that doesn't work either. That's not joy. That doesn't bring to lead us joy either. But. It's not about annihilating ourselves and it's not about becoming something, but it's about turning to meet what's here with interest and openness. And, uh, and you know, just staying present enough to let that, that unfolding happen. And it's something 
we have to just keep doing again and again and again because the you know, not only does the sense of self have a very strong investment in keeping a strong hold on our mind, you know, the ego is, is like is life or death for the ego. And then and even just the fact that you're in a monastery, coming to a monastery, threatening for the ego. So it's like it's going to do what it can to try to survive, you know. And uh, and then there's just the, the, the forgetfulness, you know, just how easy it is just to forget and get caught up in it. And then we live in a culture that's constantly affirming a sense of separate self and personality. It's all about personality. So the Buddha understood personality as, a, as a, just a, a process, as a, of the causes and conditions that come together and, and not who and what we are. And uh, you know, all of us can also understand that it's not a—you don't have to be a fully enlightened being to understand that. Uh, so, but to, in order to understand it, we have to—we have to be interested enough to investigate what is this personality? How does it manifest? You know, what's what is what are its leanings? What does it tend towards? What is it afraid of? You know, what when when does it arise? Also, there's times when we, when we we can just be relaxed. We don't really notice the sense of self. And then, oh, there it is, you know. We, we kind of become somebody. So then that's something to take interest in as well. Like, well, what, what happened there? You know, what was that? Maybe it's sitting in front of people. Maybe it's being, you know, <coughs> sitting on a bus. Or maybe it's uh, when we have to um, lead something. Or, you know, there's all kinds of different times or situations where... Or maybe when we're feeling a bit insecure about something, you know. Maybe we're just quietly cooking, but we feel a bit insecure about it, not sure, and there's this strong sense of self, and we can remember when we were kids, and we did this, and you know, and all of that comes in. So just to take an interest in that, because it's all teaching us. All of those things are teaching us. They're not. They're not. There's no parts of ourselves we have to cut off or destroy. Or, but it's about it's about meeting and understanding and and um, and letting go. That's the the path. And there are those, you know, there are many teachers actually who, who teach much more of a, um, a uh, what would be, would be like, you know, more forceful way of practice, like kind of kill the kalesa and cut off the defilements. And, and for me, it's never worked that language. It's never been helpful. And it obviously does work for some people, but for me it's never worked. And um, so to, to actually listen and be interested in and, and understand and then when there's that understanding then there can be a letting go because then that letting go is very deep it's like the the little one that's been in there holding all of those things together all that time realises it doesn't have to hold all those things oh, it's okay and then there's a letting go on a really deep level and, and then that you know, there's, that happens again and again and again there's layers and layers of it but uh, every time and any any little or great letting go is it's, it's a step in the direction of freedom or it is freedom so you know it's a path this path is uh, it's subtle and it's uh, it takes it takes like an ongoing commitment an ongoing interest and and, and uh, Humility, you know, it is a, it's a humbling path because we keep, you know, we kind of rationally we think, okay, I do this, and then and then by then I should be, you know, should be kind of get, have it sorted. 
and uh, it's often not like that. So it does take a lot of humility just to keep meeting. Oh, yeah, there's that again. Oh, yeah, there's that again. And 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 then seeing how am I meeting it? I'm, meeting, I'm actually meeting that with aversion. I'm actually kind of wanting to get rid of that. I'm fed up with it. And there can be the fed upness where we just like we fed up and we've finished, and we can just put it down. That's lovely when that happens. We can't make it happen. And then there's also the fed upness of like banging it down because we don't want it. So the more we bang these things down, the more they hurt, they wait, they're waiting to be heard and understood. And when they are, they we find that they kind of go away on their own. And sometimes they just go away for a while and they come back. And then maybe we meet them with that beating again and then we remember. And, and then they, you know, it's the, it's the listening that actually kind of transforms our knots and tangles of self. So it's a, it's a, you know, it's a, it's a, a practice of, it's a daily practice. And sometimes the practice looks very formal, you know, it's sitting and learning chanting or studying the suttas, and, and sometimes it doesn't look very formal. You know, sometimes it's like feeling like a complete mess and wondering like, what am I doing with myself? And, and then there's still awareness of that. That's that's, that's valid part of the practice. And then maybe the next day you realize, you wake up and you feel different, and you notice the difference. It's like okay. So the practice is is being humble enough to take it all in, all of it. The the confusion and the fear and the depression and the greed and the and the beauty and the insight and the strength and the courage, all of it. And let it all be known, and let it uh, within the the field of awareness, within the holding and the the clarity, the brightness of awareness. Let it do its its own work, because as long as there's mindfulness and uh, even just a little bit of wisdom, things start to transform. So. It would be nice if we can we could just do the practice, you know, read the book, follow the steps, do the practice, get the results, be great, you know. But it's much more subtle than that. So, so I'm very happy to share the path with everyone here, the practice, and uh, may we all realise our true potential and be a source of joy in the world. Dhamayam Dhamakataya Sadhikaram Dhamase Sadhu Thank you for listening. To learn how you can support the teachers and Dharma Seed, please visit Dharma Seed dot org slash donate